The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Alan Fine, the podcast editor of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. This uh, session, we are uh, extremely pleased to have Dr. Uh, Sean uh, Nishi from the University of Texas, where she's associate professor of medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and uh, Critical Care. Uh, and we're going to be talking about a uh, recently uh, published paper on uh, the patterns of imaging after lung cancer resection. And uh, the, th- this is a, a very common issue, which uh, until I saw this paper, I actually didn't think very much uh, about. Uh, we kind of do what we do. And not uh, much uh, information is available uh, as to how patients should be followed after resectional surgery, after uh, the surgery is done. Uh, we Different institutions have different uh, patterns uh, of behavior. It certainly uh, uh, eats up a lot of resources, and we probably should know a lot more about what we're doing and what we should be doing. So uh, welcome, Sean. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me to present our research group's work. So uh, I thought as a background, uh, we could just discuss what the expected outcomes are in stage one and two lung cancer, since so many more of these are being detected with our newly instituted lung cancer screening projects. So I thought maybe you could give us your take on some of this. Sure. Uh, Most of our information regarding five-year survival of early-stage lung cancer was actually derived from the National Cancer Institute's SEER database. It's the same database that we use in our study, and it's based on people who were diagnosed with non-small cell lung cancer between 1998 and 2000. Our study encompasses a similar period between 1992 and 2005. Uh, survival rates in general include people who die not just from lung cancer, but from all other causes, um, excluding cancer as well. But in general, the more advanced the stage of lung cancer, the lower the five-year survival. Specifically, five-year survival rates for people with non-small cell lung cancer, with early stage non-small cell lung cancer, um, is about 49% for stage 1A and 45% for stage 1B. And then by the time you get to stage 2A and B, the five-year survival drops to around 30%. And then, as you can imagine, by the time you get to stages three and four, it's usually in the single digits. So it's important to remember that these statistics, again, were based on people who were diagnosed between 98 and 2000. But we know that since that time, the treatment for lung cancer has rapidly changed. Uh, We have new targeted therapies for lung cancer that was first approved in 2003. And then just a year ago, we have immunotherapies uh, blocking the PD-1 and PD-L1 pathways that were uh, recently approved. And we also have to remember that stereotactic body radiation therapy is becoming um, more utilized over the past few years, and there are many more treatments that are rapidly evolving. So it's our hope, basically, that patients who are currently diagnosed with early-stage non-small cell lung cancer may have a better outlook due to some of these advances than these statistics may show. Well, Sean, and one a question that occurred to me is, in these patients, what is the rationale for doing any surveillance? or 
and then specifically for the timing of, of surveillance? That's a good question. Um, the hope really is that when we have a patient that has lung cancer that we can cure them of their disease by resecting them if they have early stage one or two. Uh, the rationale for post-surgical surveillance is that timely detection of recurrence or if you can identify a second primary lung cancer early, that this, again, would be the best opportunity for treatment before the disease becomes more advanced. And the hope is is that their survival will improve. However, I think there are many unspoken reasons um, for why we use surveillance, both as um, practitioners and from the patient standpoint. There are physician and patient attitudes and different knowledge base about lung cancer surveillance. Um, as a clinician, I usually find that um, you know other clinicians are looking for guideline-based therapy. They don't want to do the wrong thing, but they have a lot of pressure from patients. And once you have a patient that has been diagnosed with cancer, there's this strong initial emotion of fear, and that fear never quite goes away once they have a diagnosis. So there may be a sense of relief if early stage is caught after resection for curative intent. Um, and patients really, they gravitate to, to having that scan once or twice a year so that they know somebody's checking on them and that they have something tangible in the physician's hands that they can look at and say that, that they're in the clear and they don't have another recurrence. The question that, again, much of this is something I've really honestly ever thought about, but are we looking for second primaries, local recurrence, or uh, if we're looking for metastasis, uh, which may be more common, uh, are we doing the right studies? Um, the simple answer and the short answer is I'm I'm not sure. And it's an interesting question to know what is the real evidence base for this practice. So I'll just state that there are six current guidelines that are published for surveillance of patients with non-small cell lung cancer after surgery for curative intent. Um, these recommendations do vary considerably, but the general theme is, is that in the first two years, surveillance is a little more frequent, um, usually twice a year, maybe once a year. Um, and surveillance modalities really range anywhere from simple clinic visits looking for symptoms of recurrence or new primaries that may develop. And it may or may not be combined with chest radiograph or semi-annual CTs or annual CTs after the initial resection. Um, so what is the evidence, was your question. Um, the evidence for surveillance is largely based on very weak and retrospective observational studies. So studies of routine surveillance after curative intent surgery are very conflicting about the ability that timely diagnosis of recurrence correlates to meaningful improvements or that there are improvements in overall or lung cancer-specific survival. So with a lack of good perspective randomized studies, the current guidelines were largely formed on consensus opinion, and this probably accounts for the reason why there's a high number of published recommendations. So... I guess you're saying that there really isn't much evidence upon which to base recommendations at this point. Not at this point, no. So uh, let me just uh, ask you uh, to describe the findings of your paper and uh, what you think it contributes uh, to this discussion. Um, our study really set out to describe the current practice patterns. So what are we doing right now with CT and PET imaging for surveillance in patients with lung cancer who had resection for curative intent. We did use the SEER database and linked that database to the Medicare data for patients 
who had ICD-9 codes for lung cancer or lung resection from 1992 to 2005, but did not have codes for neoadjuvant chemotherapy or radiation therapy before resection or within four months of resection. And then we followed these patients for a period of 63 months after resection or until death. Uh, the main purpose of the study really um, was to look for CT or PET scans that were performed as surveillance and not as evaluation. So we defined evaluation as CT or PET scans that were performed during a hospitalization or within 30 days of a chest radiograph. And then surveillance CT or PET scans were defined as those done in the outpatient setting that did not have a preceding chest radiograph um, within 30 days. And so here's what we found. First, overall, the rate of imaging studies was highest in the first 24 months after surgery. They had small peaks of increases uh, at six-month intervals and larger peaks at 12-month intervals. And so this pattern really suggests regular intervals of surveillance. Second, when you look at imaging rates annually, chest X-ray was the most common imaging study performed during follow-up, but it did decline in each subsequent year. 91% of patients had at least one chest X-ray in the first year after resection, but then by year five, only 79% had a chest X-ray. And then a similar decline was also seen after each successive year of follow-up with the use of CT scans, where 41% of patients who had at least one CT scan in the first year after resection, but by year five, only 27% had a CT scan. And so when you look at the use of surveillance by patients over time, there is a decline. However, if you look at the overall growth of surveillance imaging use by year of diagnosis, you can see a sharp increase after 1997. Essentially, for CT, 13% of patients had at least one surveillance CT scan at the beginning of the study, and then by the study's end, at least 57% had a CT scan. And a similar increase was seen with PET. By 1998, when PET was first introduced and approved by Benicare, and then by the end of the study, by 2005, there was a threefold increase. Overall, this translates into a 32% increase in the odds of receiving a surveillance PET or CT scan for each subsequent year a patient was diagnosed in the study. How much more frequently is the CT used compared to PET? Um, you know, I can't give you that number right now. But, well, at least I would assume that CT is a much more frequent modality, which gets me to my next uh question, what do you think, what, what is your opinion about how patients should be followed uh, after curative resection for lung cancer? So how would I follow a patient, in other words? Right. Resection? So typically, um, by the time patients return to me, they've seen oncology, they've had um, thoracic surgery, thorough evaluation, and I have patients for more longer-term follow-up. So patients are usually receiving surveillance scans um, at least twice a year for the first two years, and then annually thereafter for up to five to six years. Um, at that point, you know, the scans have been ordered by the oncologist and the CT surgeons, um, and I really feel that my role in this process is analogous to the shared decision-making visit for lung cancer screening. So I inform patients about the evidence of surveillance imaging. We discuss what the role of imaging means to the patients personally. We also discuss the likelihood of finding some abnormality and what that means to each patient and what we may do um, in the event that they may need further uh, diagnostic uh, interventions. 
And then finally, I try to assist them in making the best decision that's tailored to their needs. Uh, well, what you're saying is interesting because uh, certainly in our geographic area, the actual primary uh, follow-up falls to the pulmonologist after pretty much after the first, I'd say, six months, perhaps year. After that, it's all on the pulmonologist. The oncologist certainly kind of is out of the picture by then. Uh, do you think that patients should be followed by PET or by uh, standard CT or no, neither? I, I just don't think that we have enough evidence to um, to make that recommendation yet. But I know that there's a lot that we need to know, and, and what what might we need to know? I think there's two main issues that need to be addressed. First is that whether detection or recurrence or of a second primary lung cancer by surveillance imaging actually leads to overall improved survival. Um, and then second, if the answer is yes, how do we effectively achieve surveillance? So what are the intervals, and and how do we do it appropriately? So... The first issue, um, does it have a positive outcome in overall survival? I think there's very little data and no well-designed prospective studies that specifically target those questions of survival and quality of life. It's merely just positive detection of recurrence or new primaries, but I think the bigger picture that patients want to know is, is my survival going to be improved? Am I going to have a better quality of life afterwards? And we simply just don't know the answer to that question. I, I was going to say that uh, given the, the amount of resources devoted to uh, post-resection surveillance, you would think that we would have at least made some attempt at studying the, the problem. And I think you, your your study is a, a great first step. Yes, thank you. Uh, do you think patients who have curative radiotherapy should be followed in the uh, in the same way? given the uh, improvement in radiation technology and uh, what we're seeing is increased use of uh, radiation in lieu of surgery in, in certain instances? Sure, and I think that's an up-and-coming um, field of study. I think there was just a recent article published this month, actually, trying to look at, um, you know, when we surveil patients after um, stereotactic radiation, how well do they do? And there is some evidence to show, at least in this study, that there may be improved survival with stereotactic radiotherapy rather than resection. Uh, it is one study. Obviously, there will be need to be more studies to confirm this um, and larger studies. But I don't think that surveillance is simply a yes or no question. I think that's that's the difficulty. As new things evolve, new treatments and modalities, and certainly it has as new targeted therapies also involve, this is going to be a question that is going to become more complicated, I think, than simple. Um, there may be a targeted population, those at higher risk, or maybe perhaps those are, that are younger and have longer to develop a second primary. I think all these are interesting questions that um, will have to be addressed, and it's certainly an exciting time to figure what the right answers and, are in the field of lung cancer. And certainly as uh, we move forward, uh, you get into where does post-resectional surveillance end and lung cancer screening begin. Most begin. of these patients are in the uh, high-risk, defined high-risk groups who uh, uh, in whom lung cancer screening is recommended. So it, it's 
it is a, an area in great flux. Yes. So um, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Nishi, for sharing your thoughts. And I think we had a, a great session on from uh, the Annals of the American Thoracic Society, this is Dr. Alan Fine wishing you all a great rest of your day.